The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will talk about Austin's 4-1 victory over Minnesota United. We will be joined by Paul Dolan of MLS Season Pass on Apple TV to preview the Vancouver and Sporting Kansas City matches this week. And then we'll cover uh, all the Austin FC news that has happened, including today's introductory press conference with Rodolfo Borrell. My name's Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I am Jeremiah Bentley. And Landon, we have talked about your fifth division co-ed soccer career <laughs> somewhat. And I think there were rumors that possibly Austin's big uh, I don't want to talk about it this week. Might be, might be you or someone, someone around you. But yeah, you guys had a game. Was this over the weekend? Yeah, I was had on a little Saturday. Ste- little step up in competition on Saturday. How did that turn out? I, I got all cocky with our our four one win the last game where I scored. Uh, in the summer, my league does a little World Cup style tournament where you have group play, like a seated group play, and then we won our first two games in group play, and we're already advanced into the knockout round. But our last game was against a Division One team, which again, there's six divisions, and we're in the fifth one. And this was against a division one team. I was like, this is probably going to be bad, but maybe we can keep it from getting embarrassing. We could not. It was 10 <laughs> zero by the end of it, maybe 11. I just kind of stopped counting at a certain point, but uh, we, we got, I, I felt like the little giants, like it was um, a little demoralizing. But you still made it through. So you still have a game to, to, ba- to bounce back this weekend. Yeah, right? we, have, we have to play a Division Two team this weekend. Oh, so that may be tough. I, we were walking away. Uh, Rhodes, one of my teammates, was like, "I under like I understand that how the concept like some people would think this concept is fun, but like who is this for? <laughs> so uh, right. We, we don't want to play these games. We'd rather just play the people who are close to our level because like we're not we're not good enough to like actually have aspirations of like." having some big upset and making it all the way, like having our Rudy moment where we actually make it to the final. Like that's not going to happen. Let Just let us play other bad people. <laughs> well, I had a little flashback to the media game in November because I went to the press conference today and I was walking in. I walk in next to Bob Ballou, who I believe scored twice, maybe three times on me in the media game. And so it was really <laughs> good to see him off the field. I did ask him. I was like, after that game, did you have trouble walking for like three days? He's like, yes, absolutely. So it felt the same way I did afterward, but um, good times well, today. Out yeah, of let's move, move on to some some happier news where you were out at the press conference introducing Rodolfo Borrell to Austin. How was that? Yeah, it was it was great. It was a fairly well attended press conference. Um, we had probably thirty minutes with Borrell and Anthony Precourt, who did the introductions. Um, I, I posted uh, posted a lot of the questions on the Moon Tower Soccer Twitter account, uh, and in in the setup, there was like a picture of two small plants um, in front of me and people thought maybe we were all getting gifts, but sadly those were just plants holding seats for Andy Lochnane and Eddie Margain. So there were no gifts other than the fact that we got a new sporting director who has a great resume. So um, I I got to watch the, the live stream of it. What were some of the highlights? What were some of your takeaways from this press conference? Overall, a lot of what I saw today reminded me of like some of the stories you told about him last week. Like he just, he just seems like a really supportive guy. Like he seems to be a big thinker. He just seemed to be, he seems to really be bought in on um, 
being there to sort of help make the first team, the second team, the academies better. Talked a lot about Josh Wolf being the coach and the and and like the man in charge on the first team. But you know, I left that press conference just overall with the impression that it's like that is a guy that I would love to work for because he just he seemed like humble and smart and obviously has a very high soccer IQ. Um, and I think he will be a strong asset. I know when he was originally announced, you know, there was the concern about having somebody to come in from um, Manchester City, like a club with basically no budget, and come into this league. Um, and he directly addressed that and talked about how he was excited about the challenges that Major League Soccer presents. Um, and interesting, like his first two challenges that he mentioned were uh, the size of the United States and the heat, which... Um, I think like recognizing that early on is probably really good and just how that affects the way they have to play. But I mean, he seems up for the challenge. Um, he was very clear that he is done being a coach and into ready to be into the front office mode. He talked about that at least three times. Yeah. And I, it was, I, one of the, one thing I tweeted after he was hired is that like two things that he's going to need to be successful in this league are uh, some good MLS experience in his staff, which he has in Sean Rubio and with Josh Wolf as well. And then the other thing is going to be humility. And I think if he was coming in here thinking like, I, I'm coming from Manchester City from Barcelona, like I know how to make a good football team. Like I know how to do this. If he's coming in here with that mentality and not thinking about like where he fits into this, how much he doesn't know about MLS, I think that could be dangerous. That is not the sense that I got from him today. He seems like he knows what he's stepping into. He knows that he's a part of a team and is going to have to rely on the rest of that team. And like you said, reiterated over and over, he said this this exact sentence, I think three or four times, that Josh is the leader of this group. And just saying like, Josh is the coach. I'm just a part of this group helping to make it better. But Josh is still going to be the one making these day-to-day decisions. Um I felt like that was very intentional. Don't you? Yeah, I do too. And I know a lot of the, the. I mean, you know, sometimes I forget that there is no nuance on the internet. And then there are days like today <laughs> that reminds me that there's no such thing as nuance on the internet. I mean, obviously, a, a, a sporting director is not going to come in and be like, coach is awful, I've got to get rid of him. But I think the number of times that he represented, he like repeated that. And then very specifically, he talked about Josh Wolf being the head coach as being one of the things that attracted him to coming to Austin and a question where he didn't have to talk about that. That really yeah. was of all the answers. That was the one that led me to believe that he's really like a strong believer in Josh Wolf. I mean, he's a smart enough guy. Obviously he comes in and there's like things awful that are, you know, under the hood that he doesn't know about. Like I think he would probably make changes, but he, he very specifically went out of his way in a very seemingly meaningful and not like just for the cameras kind of way to show support for Josh Wolf. And I, like, it seemed absolutely genuine. And even, even if he's not completely sold on Josh Wolf, that is what he absolutely should have said anyway. Like it, it, like even if his, like he's coming in here thinking like Josh Wolf is on a short leash, like his seat is hot. I'm going to give him the next six months. And if he doesn't show a complete turnaround, then I'm giving him the ax and we're going in a different direction. If he's thinking that fine, like the press conference is not the place to do that. And so for him to come in and just full throated, full throated support for Josh Wolf is the smartest thing he can do right now, because even like, like I said, even if he doesn't believe in Josh, the thing for this team and for this organization needs to be like unity and belief for as long as they're going to be working together. And so like, like you said, he does, you said he seems like a person you would want to work for. I totally buy that. And I think this statement probably sent that message to the whole organization. Like I'm, I'm here to be a leader, but also a teammate. And like, we're going to do this together. And I, I think that's, 
that's great. And we were texting earlier, just like from a PR standpoint, Austin has never really had someone in leadership that has that kind of like charisma or gravity to them when they speak. And he's able to speak really confidently, really clearly, really intelligently in both English and Spanish. And I think that's going to be an asset to them, like regardless of how good or bad he is at his job, having someone on the technical side who can stand in front of a camera and make fans feel good about things is is a good thing, because I don't think Josh Wolf cares about doing that. And Claudio Reyna was um, uninformative and boring usually when he was in front of the camera. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Rota seemed seemed, uh, way more natural in front of the camera. You're right. It was good. Like he included answers. Was it was it Michelle, Michelle Sanchez had asked him a question in English and then a question in Spanish and he was super comfortable doing both I believe. Um, I think a couple other things that struck me about the situation. One is like they, it did come up that Josh Wolf is very happy to just be the coach. Uh, I think evidenced by the fact that he was at St. David's Performance Center doing the coaching things and not at Q2 doing this press conference. Yeah, um, I think that really showed. Um, and then oh, one other uh, that was an, a question that Michelle had. That I think fans would be interested in was about the summer transfer window. Um, and Precourt answered that question. One thing made it very clear that this summer transfer window is not Burrell's window because basically the thing, you know, anything that's going to be done is going to be done and he's here to build um, for the winter. But Precourt did directly say there will be incoming players. So I think if anybody's afraid that this one uh, move that we'll talk about here in a minute is it, uh, there still seems to be the plates in the air and plans that some of them at least are going to land. And on that point, one thing interesting that Burrell said was like the pre-court was talking about how long term, like you, you don't just jump in and start like pulling guys out of a hat to sign. Like there's a lot of pre-work that goes into these things six months to a year in advance when you start doing this, laying this groundwork for stuff. And so Burrell was saying like, yeah, these guys, the guys that are here have been doing a lot of work. And I'm going to support the decisions that they've made this summer because I believe in these people. And again, even if that's not true, that's what he should be saying in this press conference. And just another like good leadership move from him to say, like, I believe in this team. They've been doing the work without me here. And so I'm going to trust in the work that they've done. And then going forward, that will be when I can start to influence this team a bit more. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about this morning that that came up was whether he was like outside the circle of sort of the pre-court circle or whether it was uh, sort of a familiar a familiar commodity. And that question came up too. And he talked about, I guess, I think it was three and a half years ago that he yeah. and Precourt met. What did you think that meant? Well, what did I think that meant? I don't know. Because uh, he said that they connected when Anthony went to Manchester. Um, I just like knowing that he hasn't been around for 20 years in the Columbus ML- U.S. national team circle was the encouraging part to me. What did you take out of that? I, I took that to mean that Precourt called him on day one. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that timing, but yes, that would make sense. And they said, okay, here's our list of guys we're going to go after because Burrell had been linked with coaching jobs and sporting director jobs in MLS before and was reportedly offered the Philadelphia Union job in like 2015, 2016, something like that. And so MLS people know about him and there have been connections there. And so my my theory before when they're saying like, oh, I've known, he said, I've known Josh, I've known Anthony for a while now. I think in 2019 or whatever it was when Josh Wolf gets hired that you think he might've been the first choice. They're talking to him. They're meeting with Burrell saying like, Hey, we want you to come here to Austin. And Burrell said that like timing has always been an effort. And he said, very true. He said, these jobs always come 
uh, mid-season for me in England. And he said jobs, plural. So like he's been offered many at this point, but he was like, I'm in the middle of a successful season at Manchester City. I don't want to leave right now. And so the, he said the fact that this one came in the off season in England was lucky for him because he would have had a really hard time turning this one down if it would come in mid-season in England, but he would also have had a hard time leaving England. So um, all that to say, like, I think they were after him from the very jump and couldn't get him and defaulted to another option, which ended up being Claudio Reyna. But I, I think that's what that three and a half years number means. Which this, we're going to move on at some point. I have two more things I want to talk about on the Burrell press conference. It's probably fine. Uh, but one of the other things that reminds me, one of the other things that Precourt talked about was like, well, all this is, is, although this is a salary cap league, we can spend whatever we want on the front office and all the things outside of the first team. Um, so I'm assuming that Burrell probably got a pretty decent paycheck out of this deal, um, which yeah. is a very true and important point in terms of having ambition and showing if they have ambition I mean, I thought it was a little bit funny for him to like jump in and say that too yeah. at the same time. <laughs> He's just like, hey, this is expensive here. <laughs> <laughs> just just so you know, you guys are not getting little plants on the way out of here because I've got a lot of money to pay it, to our new sporting director. It's a little bit like the guy who like you say something about like, oh, it's, it's a nice car. You want to know how expensive it was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, do you want to? I was going to talk about the scouting department before we move on. I thought was, he, he specifically mentioned that. I guess at least one, enough that we wrote it into the notes twice, or I think maybe each of us did. Um, but like revamping the scouting department, I think that's a place that definitely needs uh, some effort. And it's the place where obviously he probably brings the most skill to the table too. Yeah. I mean, just his talent identification skills have been shown over the years. His network is probably going to be really good from working in the the city football group stuff. And then from all the teams that he's worked with. So the fact that they're going to be investing more in scouting resources, I think is a good thing because in certain regions we've done okay, but in others, it seems like there's a lot of work to be done. And I, I'm glad to hear that they're, they recognize that and are mentioning it without anybody really asking. Yeah, that one guy from Warren E can probably like lose his phone number. Like, I don't think we'll get any more calls there. <laughs> Diego Cerati. Uh, let me oh, check my go. notes. Is there anything else that I'm missing here? Um, no, I think I'm good. Let's move on to the next bit of news, which is uh, Brandon Craig has been loaned from the Philadelphia Union to Austin FC for the rest of the season. Uh, do you have the numbers pulled up there, Jeremiah? I do. So in exchange, Philadelphia receives Austin's third round pick in the 2024 MLS Super Draft and may receive up to $125,000 in 2024 GAM, depending upon performance-based incentives. But yeah, this is very clearly a loan through the rest of the year with no um, option to buy, which is something we've seen in most of most of the loans that Austin's done. Yeah, and I I think the reason there's no option to buy is because Philadelphia like believe in this kid. Like they... He is a big prospect for them. He is part of the uh, U20 World Cup team, was a 90-minute starter every game pretty much. And uh, so th th this is a guy that they'll be looking to sell to Europe in the next year or two. And so they're not going to put in some transfer clause into this loan agreement and let us get him for cheap. Like they're hoping to bring him back. And the reason that they're willing to loan him is because they have, they have two of the best center backs in the league in – Jakob Glesnes and Jack Elliott. And then Damian Lowe as, as the third guy, either in a back three or as a, as a backup for those other two, who's also quite good. And so a 19 year old Brandon Craig 
is not going to crack that lineup very much. And so um, I, th- I think there's a lot of maybe initial reactions of Austin fans thinking like, okay, this is a guy who's going to come in and maybe start for us. But after researching a bit more, I'm not entirely sure that's going to be the case. Um, like I, I watched quite a bit of this kid at the U 20 world cup and then went through and watched some Y scout footage and stuff. Very good on the ball. Uh, like very just as far as an attack minded center back goes, he's very skilled, but He's not an exceptional athlete for his age going against grown men. He's not really even played first team minutes at all. So he's still quite unproven. And I think especially defensively. Yeah, he is. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jim Curtin spent most of his news conference uh, the week of that trade, like defending the move too. But he said, we feel as a club, we need to find creative ways to get him minutes. We happen to have three of the best center backs in the league, as you mentioned. Um, and then it seems like maybe the relationship that he had that Curtin has with both Wolf and Burrell um, had a little bit to do with where uh, Craig ended up going. But um, yeah, I think you probably see sometime. Would you be disappointed if this is the center back, the only center back move that Austin makes during this window? Um, I mean, I'll be disappointed, but like I'll also understand just because of. Uh, like I, I don't have high hopes for like if we make the playoffs, I don't have high hopes of us making a huge run with the current set of defenders we have, especially if we can't rely on Alex Ring to be healthy. Um, and so yeah, I'll, I'll be disappointed if they don't bring someone in, but like I also understand why it might happen, and we'll just have to live with that maybe. Yeah, what other you you have some other response I think from sort of Philadelphia Twitter, which may be as like good or bad as Austin FC Twitter. So this shall come with some kind of caveat, I think. Well, I, I reached out to some Philadelphia Union podcasts and some some uh, writers uh, from there. So I think I got responses from three different podcasts here. And it's uh, th- this is from Philadelphia Soccer Now, Views from the Bridge, and the Free Kick pod. Uh, so thanks for sharing your thoughtful opinions here. And... This was prefaced in the first message I got back, but it was like, ask 10 Philly fans what they think about this kid and you'll get a bunch of different responses. And so they range from this kid is the real deal. He's good enough now. The only reason he's not playing is because of how good the other center backs on this team are. Uh, And then there's other people who are a bit more in my camp of thinking, which is this kid's going to be really good in a few years, but is not ready for a real MLS minutes right now. And so the truth may be somewhere in between there. Uh, even like, but yeah, Philly, Philly people aren't even in complete agreement on that. But there are MLS minutes being given to people who are not maybe ready for a ton of MLS minutes right now in Austin. So there's right. at least yeah. some opportunity there. You know, it's not a Philadelphia situation for sure. Uh, anything else on Brandon Craig? No, let's, let's talk about the, um, Austin FC2 match uh, against Houston Dynamo on Friday. I believe you went out there um, in the heat and checked it out. Uh, obviously, it was a relatively dominant performance. Uh, do you have any particular like players or notes or anybody you wanted to talk about out of that match? Yeah, I want to talk about three individual players. So David Rodriguez has been missing for a few games now. I haven't seen anything released about what's going on with him. Valentin Noel was missing from this game. I think he had to come out of a game injured uh, in the last couple of weeks. 
Um, and so playing with not, and then Kip Keller is being called up. And so they've had to kind of shift around the back line. Uh, Charlie Asensio is also out. So there's, I guess, two or three first choice defenders not available. Two of your best attacking players not available and still able to get this 3-0 win is, is really impressive. So uh, first player I want to talk about is CJ Fodre. He gets one goal, one assist, and then hit the post once that on what would have been an amazing goal. Um, I saw Kevin Morris posting some some footage and saying that CJ Fodre is too good for MLS Next Pro. I did not think that was true early on. He was injured at the beginning, um, kind of was getting like limited minutes, working his way back in. The last few games that he's played, though, he has looked a, a class above this league especially athletically speaking he is uh probably six foot two something like that usually one of the tallest guys on the field very fast pretty strong for for as kind of lanky as he is and he's able just to like push balls past fullback sometimes and just run past them um i think early on in the season he was relying a bit too much on his physicality he's added a bit more finesse to his game which i think is good but I do. I am kind of starting to think that like how much better is it going to make him to just like physically bully defenders in MLS next pro. I think it would be valuable for him to, to maybe take a step up, whether it be a USL loan, I think would probably be like the best thing for him or getting MLS minutes. But like, I'm not sure that he's, I'm not sure he'd be helpful there right now for Austin FC. And so I kind of would like to see him maybe take another step up in the near future, just so he can kind of keep developing against people who are as fast and as strong as him. Um, but I'm not really sure what that's going to look like. Uh, another player, Cristo Vela. This is Carlos Vela's nephew. I think he's 18 or 19 years old. Uh, was not super impressive earlier on in the season. Gets a chance to start in uh, as one of the dual tins in that 4-3-3 this week. Had a pretty good game, but then ends up uh, scoring a banger of a free kick and then almost scoring another one and had some other really good plays throughout the game as well. And so uh, he had a really good game. The other one I want to mention is uh, Irvin Torres. Irvin Torres is a 15-year-old from the Austin FC Academy, gets his professional debut, gets to play like the last 15 or 20 minutes in this game. That's amazing and impressive. For him to be able to do that, like what, to, what to, was he effective and meaningful in that amount of time? He looked fine. Like uh, it, the game was, it was. I think it was already three nil at that point, or maybe two nil at that point already. So the game was a little bit gone already. But he didn't, he didn't look out of place. He didn't look uh, lost. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to see him in a, in a game where it's not over already, and the other team is still fighting a little bit harder. Uh, but man, this kid is he's going to be good. Just the fact that he's even getting the chance out there, not even 16 years old yet and not looking completely lost is in, in central midfield too, which is like, that's one of the highest IQ positions to be able to go out. And like the game is just so fast there, the higher you move up and to see him go out there and and not look completely lost is really, really encouraging. Well, let's cover one more Austin FC two thing before we move on to the match. And this is sort of a repeat bit of news i feel like damian loss is mls next pro goalkeeper of the month for june had five clean sheets and six matches in june i think he's won this at least two other months i believe and he was also the team of the first half so i mean he just continues 
to excel and get recognized for it. So it's great to see him do that. And he first match in July was a shutout too. So good for Damian Loss. Yeah, he's he's killing it. All right. Uh, any other news before we take a break, Jeremiah? No, let's go ahead and take a break. All right. Uh, hang tight. We'll be right back with uh, our recap of the Minnesota United game. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. And the guys have their own podcast too. So if you're into legal podcasts, you can check out FVF Law's Summary Judgment Podcast, which I intended to listen to before this show, but have not yet done. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Amplify Credit Union is a member-owned financial cooperative that served the needs of Central Texans for over five decades. Amplify's team lives and works in the community, making them the experts on how members can achieve their financial goals. What makes Amplify different? No bank fees. Amplify is the first financial institution in Texas to put an end to bank fees. In 2022, Americans paid almost $8 billion in overdraft fees alone. Millennials pay an average of $336 a year in bank fees, which works out to six Austin FC game tickets per person per year. You'll pay none of those fees with Amplify Credit Union. Amplify membership is open to any Texas resident. Learn to trust your bank again at Amplify Credit Union. To learn more, go to www.goamplify.com slash moontower. All right, we are back. We're going to talk about the 4-1 victory in Minnesota. Jeremiah, in the first, I don't know, let's say tw- 20 minutes of this game, if you if someone would have said, this game's going to end 4-1, which team would you have said was going to have four? <laughs> oh, I would... The first 25 minutes, I expected this game to end 4-1 or worse. But yes, not not for it to be Austin to be the team uh, that, that pulls that one out. So I believe what the term smash and grab, I believe, was used about that. You know, I just, um, man, sometimes you get sometimes you get lucky. One has to believe the adage that goals change games because that was, uh, man, Austin was on the ropes and looking super shaky for a long time. And once that Diego goal comes in at 35, like it just changed the tenor of the thing a little bit although i don't know i mean i wasn't maybe when i got to two nil i felt like austin might win but even even one nil i felt like minnesota had more goals behind them just from the number of opportunities they were creating that luckily they never converted yeah let's go ahead and go through the goals real quick and we can go back and talk about some of the other themes of the game but uh, as you mentioned that first one comes in the 35th minute completely against the run of play (laughs) minnesota has two or three big chances that Guys either um, either fluff and just miss the goal or Stuver comes up big. Or I think there was one that was like a miss and got called offside or something like that. So for various reasons, both Stuver and non-Stuver related, uh, Austin makes it to this 35th minute, still nil-nil. And then they steal one. So the goal is well worked, but it was it was completely against the, the run of play. So... There's some interplay on the left-hand side. Fagundes finds Danny Pereira to the inside, kind of approaching the top of the box. As Fagundes passes it, he continues his run behind the line. Will Trapp is the nearest player to him. And as Fagundes runs past him, he does a, uh, I'll call it like a a very Johan Romagna move where like, I can't see this guy anymore. Therefore he doesn't exist. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so Fagundes runs behind him and Trap just stops and just hangs out at the top of the box and nobody follows him. Pereira realizes this, just taps a little through ball straight ahead of him behind the back line. Fagundes runs onto it and is able to kind of curl it past the keeper with a really good finish. But um, there's also some some like really simple but smart movements from Driussi and Zardes on the backside there to kind of open up some space for, for Fagundes to run into. But um, yeah, I mean, against the run of play, but in the end, a, a well-worked goal and a well-finished goal by Fagundes there. Yeah, it was, it was really well played. Um, I think it was one of those situations where you just see that Danny does stuff that nobody else does in terms of advancing the ball, um, especially with his feet, right? And it's going to be a thing that contribute contributes really well to Austin's performance uh, against Minnesota, and it's going to be a thing that's very hard to replace when he's inevitably sold on to Europe. And I think I think a, a criticism that I and others have had of Danny Pereira is his ability to 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 see things and create things in that final third. Um, there's, I can think of times over the last two years where he gets into those positions and kind of panics and doesn't know what to do or doesn't have the vision to see something happening. And I think a, a few of occasions this season, and especially in this game where he, he doesn't do that. Like he, he finds the right thing, plays a nice ball, um, has put in some really nice crosses lately as well. So it's little, little building blocks that he's adding to his game that he's, slowly but surely coming a, a more and more complete player. Yep. Well, let's talk about the second goal because we want to get to was it a penalty or not, but let's maybe set it up before we get there. Yeah, so this is um, the penalty comes in the 45th, so probably a few minutes with the VAR review and everything before then. Uh, some really good kind of hold-up play by Zardes in the build-up, dropping back and kind of connecting with guys to keep the ball progressing. Uh, finds... Fagundes on the left, kind of with the defense on its heels. And then uh, John Gallagher is, is rushing the back line, makes an underlapping run. Fagundes plays a through ball into the box. And as uh, Gallagher approaches the ball, Debasi, one of their center backs, slides in and takes him out. The, immediately, the immediate call in the field was a penalty. After this replay, um, I mean, wh what do you think, Jeremiah? Like after watching a replay a bunch of times, seeing what happened, do you think this is the right call? Well, I'm gonna take the middle and cowardly route and say since that was the call on the field, there was nothing that would that would lead to overturn it. But I would not have been surprised at all for it to go the other way. I mean, I feel like he got some ball. I feel like it was reckless, and I think maybe the referee was just reacting to sort of like what you would see on the field in real time. You. Just the way he he kind of went in and the way that Gallagher went down, like it looked like a really, um, it looked like a penalty, right? It, it, with the speed that it was going in, but I think like yeah. in the super slow motion replay, like maybe not. I, I I could see some officials not giving it because Debassy does get one little tap of his toe on the ball, but there's nothing in the rule book that says if you touch the ball, it can't be a foul. Okay, I'm, I'm glad I was gonna ask, I was gonna make sure that we got into that, but right, yeah, that's yeah, it's still and so it's still kind of a reckless play, right? There's, there's still a foul, and yeah, the thing for me, and as you were watching, as I was watching the replay of this game, there's a moment where Alex Chilowitz, the ref, they're kind of standing there just with a close up of like Will Trapp is yelling at him and Debassi is over there talking to him, and you can read Chilowitz's lips, and he says like Debassi saying, "I touched the ball, I touched the ball." And Chilowitz says, yeah, maybe you got like a little bit of the ball, but you went right through him. 
And so the fact, I, I think if Debassy comes in and clears the ball out, like way out of touch of Gallagher, and then maybe like clips him and he falls down, he 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 gets the call and like it's not a pin. But in this case, Gallagher reaches out, intentionally taps the ball ahead of him. It's not, he doesn't blast it out of bounds. The ball is still within a couple of strides and Gallagher is fast. And so you can imagine him still getting a foot on that ball and either clipping it in or at least stopping it from going out. If Debassi is not able to get enough of a foot on the ball to keep Gallagher, like to get it out of Gallagher's path, like I think you still call it a foul, whether he touches it or not. And so I think by this, the spirit of the law, that was the right call. So that, that happens. Uh, the ref doesn't go over and check. They stay, stick with the call in the field. Juicy nails the penalty. Austin goes into the half, I think with two va- fan bases, very shocked and surprised by the, how the game was going. And, you know, I know there's uh, a broadcasting crew that seemed to really hammer on that at halftime, too. Yeah. Sort of about how it gets, maybe a little too much. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a big, like, the announcers are against this kind of guy usually, but I feel, I feel like maybe they were kind of oversold Minnesota's dominance in the first half. Well, the, the, the play-by-play guy was Minnesota's play-by-play guy for the last few years. And so uh, he's still... We know how Adrian talks about Austin whenever he's not on the clock. So <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Uh, then the, the third goal is another Sebastian Juicy goal. It's like really good team goal. Um, great combination play. Uh, and this is the one I think where finally everybody felt like this game was in hand when this one came about. And this is, I think this is like the moment that solidified the opinion that everyone has that Danny Pereira balled in this game. <laughs> there is, uh, I think it's off a goal kick. The ball's kind of ping-ponging back and forth off of heads. Lima heads it towards the center of the pitch, towards Danny Pereira. Before it hits the ground, Danny kind of taps it up in the air to squeeze past one defender in like a fluid motion before that ball hits the ground, he pushes it past the next midfielder and just eliminates two guys with like the slickest, most fluid little touch. And I, I made an audible noise that I don't know where it came (laughs) from that like would probably get me kicked out of church. It was an amazing little move. He pushes past and is driving at the back line, three attackers in front of him, Sebastian Juicy directly out to his left. He plays it. I think he's trying to play it to Zardes' feet and isn't entirely accurate. And Zardes isn't entirely fast and doesn't get to it. But then Finley's also crashing through and is able to get on the end of it. Um, as as that ball gets played, Fagundes starts a, a near post run all the way from the back line, pulls their right back all the way across with him. Drusi just runs straight ahead towards that back post and this is like the Ethan Finley special. This was the little ball that I was very excited about seeing when Ethan Finley got signed to this team. Just that little chipped ball from the edge of the box towards the back post. And whenever he hits that accurately and you have a guy like Sebastian Juicy who knows exactly where to be in situations like that, like that's going to be a goal every time. So I, I think this is maybe like my favorite goal uh, of the game here. It was beautiful. In addition to that, Danny balling out, I think that was another one of these uh, moments that convinced everybody that Ethan Finley is the true and deserved starter um, on the wing <laughs> above Vergundi because he keeps doing stuff like this. He just puts in these these solid shifts, you know, and does things that contribute to the team. And you talked about, you talked about like, an Ethan Finley special. Like, I think it's something that, like, he has sort of a unique element to his game, too, and being able to do that um, that Vergundi hasn't been able to, 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 to unpack yet. Um, the next goal is in the 85th minute. This is uh, by Minnesota. And I believe in the right after 
that third goal, they put in Timu Puki to get his MLS debut. Uh, he, he looks good. Like, I think he's going to make this team better. It wasn't enough to to really change anything. And uh, we can talk about Austin's defense here in a little bit, but um, they end up giving up a goal in the 85th. This is off a corner. It's kind of that near post flick on off of a header. And then the, the second ball bounces off the back of Paddleford's head and kind of surprises Stuver and goes past him. So uh, a little unfortunate slash lucky, but I think we also gave up over 10 corners. And so if you keep giving up corners there, like it's going to happen. And also Austin should feel very lucky that that was the only goal that got scored. So that was the only one. Yeah. Cause Brad Stuver, well, between yeah, luck and Brad Stuver, there were plenty of other opportunities for Minnesota to score. So that's, that was one you gave up. I think lots of people were disappointed to not get the clean sheet, but ultimately that outcome, especially given how that game looked in the first half is uh, the three points are three points. Yeah. And the last goal, I think, <laughs> This is a bit of a trash can goal where Minnesota defenders weren't all entirely trying the whole time, I think. <laughs> um, but Rigoni gets a shot off. It gets saved, recovered by Driussi. Uh, Driussi and Gallagher kind of combine on the right-hand side, and Gallagher slips Driussi in behind the back line into the box. He squares a really hard low ball across the front of goal and finds Rigoni on the backside wide open. Uh, it, again, a well-worked one, but it's a little less impressive whenever the defense is more or less static at that point. <laughs> yeah, this the, this Rigoni, it's a 0.92, I mean, X goal. It's a 92% chance that he scores and 98% when it's on target because he's, I don't know, what was he, a, a foot maybe? Outside yeah, of the goal, I mean, a couple feet maybe outside of the goal. When it went, he had to react to get to it, but he was very close and was, I don't think he could have put that over the bar if he tried. <laughs> yeah. So overall, uh, it's a 4-1 win. Um, Austin comes back in fifth place now. So with these performances that Austin's had over the last few weeks, I think, what is it, 10 points in the last four matches have gone up all the way from 12th to 5th, but the table's still super tight. Good week, bad week can make a huge difference. Um, let's talk about some player performances now. Let's do it. Uh, we already talked a little bit about Danny Pereira, but, I mean, he had some, some really great moments. He gave the ball away cheaply on a couple of occasions. Their players were slipping a lot. I don't know if you noticed that, but I saw four or five little slips from people. Um, maybe the, the grass a little taller or wetter than they were expecting. And I don't know what the deal was, but that seemed to play a little bit of it. But then Danny will give balls away occasionally, but that's going to happen for someone who's on the ball as much as he is as well. Um, I'm also going to say this is probably unpopular. Danny was really good and really important offensively in this game, but Minnesota played through the middle of our off our defense over and over and over. And there's a few moments where on, on the rewatch, I was kind of checking like, okay, Minnesota beat us. Let's rewind 10 seconds. How did that happen? And not, not every time it's not just him, but several times. Danny Pereira had just made a big run forward and is recovering and is maybe not entirely focused, maybe a little bit tired. Maybe his legs are feeling a little heavy and he's too reactive to what is going on around him. And so Emmanuel Reynoso is the nearest guy to him. And Danny's just kind of like standing five or six feet away or 10 feet away, just kind of like marking him and not really worried about him receiving the ball. It's like, 
okay, like this is one of the best players in the league. You need to be a bit more proactive here. And I know you're tired. I know you just made a big run, but like, this is what is required of you here. And I think he's his, um, in certain moments, I've talked about how he's gotten a lot better defensively and just playing more aggressive, playing smarter. But I think this is kind of that next step is being able to stay 100% focused through 90 minutes to be able to like be more proactive in some of these moments because we are very vulnerable through our midfield and we're going to keep giving up chances like we did in this game if if that doesn't change yeah um and i think owen wolf had a super quiet game too like I yeah i really noticed that he was out of the field too speaking of just the midfield defensively not having um their their best performance overall um, oh, and Danny also picked up his fifth yellow, correct? So he is out. That's right. Against Vancouver. And <laughs> so, okay. I know there's a conspiracy. Well, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory. This is theory that Danny would have... Ultimately, it's better that Danny goes ahead and pick up the fifth yellow because maybe he could or couldn't go to Vancouver. Anyhow. And now his... Um, now his reset on, you know, his behavior. My problem with that is he picks up his fifth yellow right before he's going to be subbed out. It's like he was coming off... Josh was bringing him... Feels like Wolf was bringing him out of the game. And like... If you're just telling him to like take a yellow, reset it, like why, why, why make the sub then? Uh, yeah. I'm, so let's preface this. We don't actually know if Danny can't go to Canada because Correct. he, he did go once last year, right? Right. And so like maybe that's, maybe this whole thing is bogus. Um, if, if there is a case, like if it is the case that he, he's not allowed to go to Canada, like because yeah, he's about to get called off. The yellow card is on a goal kick. He just runs up and shoves a guy in the back. Like really nothing's going on. And so, and then he walks off the field and is laughing. And then it seems like Josh Wolf has a little smirk on his face too. So they are laughing at something. And so there's a lot of pieces that like, if it is the case that he's not allowed to go to Canada, I very much think that was intentional. But if that wasn't the case, then maybe they were laughing at something else. <laughs> I don't know. I love the, I love the theory behind it. Um, and I guess Kip Keller, you talked about this a little, a little bit about this in the preview. Like, the, like he, there are nothing but highs and lows. I feel like with Kip, like he's just his the way he moves his body never looks very secure. But he, he yeah. made some really good plays later in the match. You, know, you talked about when Pookie came on. I feel like he did pretty well. You know, uh, in the moments where he he played against him. So I don't know. Did you leave feeling you leave feeling better or worse about Kip Keller's sort of position and the amount of minutes he's likely to get going forward after? The Minnesota performance. Um, I feel, I think I feel better. I still don't feel great, but I do feel better. Uh, I, I, yeah, you, just his athleticism, his ability to just match people for speed and strength on that back line is, is an asset. It really is. And so there, there's a moment where uh, Pookie pulls him out wide and he's able to kind of contain and then, and then tackle the ball out of bounds one V one with him, which is that's gotta be a, a good confidence boost for him. But then another one where uh, he steps up to win a ball and lifts his leg up to clear it and just whiffs it and puts in yes. uh, Longwane one V one with Suver in, in the box. And so um, still looks pretty nervous on the ball. Sometimes not really able to find any good balls forward whenever he does find himself in space. And so that part is still concerning, but he's, it seems like he's, he's playing within his limits a bit more. And when he finds himself in that situation and he's like, I'm going to get scared here in a second, he'll just turn and launch it back to Stuver, which 
isn't ideal, but it's better than certain alternatives. And so if he knows like, I'm not going to do well right now, let's get it to somebody else as fast as possible. And so that that's positive, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's his biggest, his biggest uh, uh, challenge. It's like there was early, especially in that first 30 minutes when things were so bad, it felt like going forward, Austin was playing 10 versus 11. Cause like, Everybody in Minnesota knew he was not a threat to move the, to progress the ball forward. So they just kind of sat back and you know pressured him to going backwards, going sideways. Juicy uh, two goals, MLS team in the match week again. Now leading Austin in goals with six. So I feel like he's getting a little bit on the right track and a little bit more toward what we've seen out of him um, in the past, which means nothing but goodness for Austin. One more thing we have to talk about before this game is over, which is the weirdest thing that happened in this game. Okay, I was going to say, are we going to talk about the? There's two people who didn't play that I want to talk about, but I want to see if you, you wanted to get through any of the people who did play before that. Oh, wait, who's the second one? I'm, I don't know who the second one you're talking about is now. Well, Ring is the second one, but let's go with the first one. Ring. Okay, yeah, Ring Ring was out with injury still. Um, so that'll be something to look look at in these next couple of games. Uh, I, the options are Cascante, Keller, and Brandon Crick. Uh, I'm guessing they roll with Kip Keller until Ring is back but that'll be interesting to see the other one the lineup gets released on social media uh the they usually like will have like the, a list of players and then like a, a player's photo or something involved in the lineup graphic in the starting 11 is rodney redis and the player in the lineup graphic is rodney redis uh people start quote tweeting it sharing it around and then after a couple of minutes, that Austin FC tweet gets deleted and it's gone. We don't get another lineup graphic for, I don't know, 30, 30 like minutes. Half an hour at least, yeah. Um, whenever it comes back out, Rodney Redes is no longer in the lineup. It is now John Gallagher's photo in the graphic and Ethan Finley is in the starting lineup. Rodney Redes not even in the, in the match day 20, not on the lineup card at all. And so my thinking was, I think usually when you see a change like that, it's because the player goes out for warmups, they get a little injury, they're not feeling right. They tell the coach like, hey, we got to scratch you. We're going to put someone else in. And so I'm thinking that's that's what happened. I see some theories on social media and stuff saying like, oh, they transferred Redis, like they transferred him and that's why they pulled him out. And I'm thinking like they transferred him in between posting that lineup and like the end of one <laughs> half hour. Yeah. Like that seems very unlikely to me, but in the post game press conference, I think Phil West or someone asks about like what went on there. And Josh Wolf gives a weird answer to it. He says like, it was like an admin error. Yeah. There we go. I was, I was fixed. I was and, digging for it. I've said the story. Yeah. I've said miscommunication between myself and our admin. It puts that in. Ethan was always starting. That was just put out wrong. We had to quickly change that and get corrected. So it, I, I could see that being true at some point, but from like social media sleuthing, Marcelo Tesson finds a, a photo online of Rodney Red is wearing a uniform and wearing warmups before the game. Um, he was there. There's he's in some of the video post game. And so like they took him. He was you usually don't travel with someone who's not going to be in the game day 20. Like that's very rare to take someone along. So and then if they like the whole plan was for him to never be on the bench at all, like you would have taken someone else. Right. 
And so you could have 20 on the bench. So like all of this stacking up is like something else weird is happening. And so like maybe he did get transferred in between but lineups getting posted and and warmups being done. But that seems so weird to me. Well, you keep saying game day 20, which would but it was a game day 19 once they pulled him out. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, so, I, I, mean, don't, he was, I don't I don't buy Josh Wolf's story here is what I'm saying. Yeah, so if he was hurt, if he was like injured in training or if there's a disciplinary issue, which is the other theory I found, then you just like park him on the end of the bench. Right. And you still have a game day 20. Right. You post the graphic. You post the new graphic with his name on the bench. But the fact that like he was there, but wasn't even listed on the roster at all. It's just the weirdest part of all that. And he wasn't in the game day. I mean, the post game like team photo that everybody loves after wins. Yeah. Even though clearly he was there, there were 19 players in that picture, and one of Roddy Redis is not one of them. Yeah, so it's very weird. I'm, I do not know what's going on. And like, if if none of it would be weird if Josh was like, oh yeah, he got he got got a knock in in, in warm up, and that was it. But maybe that did happen, and they are trying to transfer him, and so they don't want to say, like, okay, this guy's injured, but we're also like negotiating with another team or whatever to say to try to transfer him. And so like, maybe they're covering for that, but the whole thing is very strange. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and it's like Phil West told me today at the press conference. He's like, and it's another story that we will never really know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Like there's just no, he's like, I've asked everybody three times and nobody's ever going to tell me about it. We're just, we're just left to speculate. Um, any other notes on this game before we move on? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I just, uh, well, we've talked about this in the, in the, um, the preview of the, the the next matches, but it's like it's great that the position that Austin's in the table. It's great that Austin's dug themselves out of, a, out of a hole. But just with how tight the West is, like Austin's got to keep it up, too. So, um, and strong performance. I've got this quote. Okay, I've got this tweet from somebody named BMK Marcel that summarizes my own thoughts. That after that loss to Kansas City, if you told me we'd come back a week later and thrash Dallas and Houston back to back, then demolish Minnesota United and be in fifth in the West, I'd call you insane. Yet here we are, and that's just like exactly how I feel about how things are going but I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. And we said, we said this several weeks ago, that like MLS is crazy. The table's tight. Like anything can happen. Um, we didn't see many signs to believe that it could happen, but just like we still knew that it was possible to happen and like not necessarily likely, but not, not like, not like weirder things have happened in this league. And so it does feel weird to experience it firsthand, but in the grand, like, the grand tapestry of MLS. This is not a weird or uncommon thing to happen, right? Right. No, not at all. It's just gonna, there's gonna be these ebbs and flows. And, you know, we saw Austin last year, you know, super early on, just be like the most dominant club in the league and then just cra- almost crash into the playoffs and then turn out fine. So it's just a uh, part of the ride. And luckily it's a fun part of the ride right now. It makes this show more fun every week for sure than <laughs> yeah. it was like a month and a half ago. Well, one more note that I'll make on this game. Uh, one thing that we said, uh, I don't know, a show or two ago is that the difference in one of the main differences in this year's team and last year's team is that we could play poorly, but if Stuver, Juicy, and Fagundes showed up, we could still steal games sometimes. This is what happened in this game. Like Fagundes was good. Juicy came up big in the moments when it mattered. Stuver was was huge as as he often is whenever those three guys are on, like we can, we can do it. Like we can win games and um, I'm hoping they can keep that up going forward because yeah, those guys make all the difference for this team. All right. Were you ready to take a break and then do a game preview? Yeah. Or two game previews. 
Yeah, we'll take a break. We're going to be right back with Paul Dolan to preview the Vancouver Whitecaps game midweek and then the weekend game against Sporting Kansas City. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Covert Ford. The Coverts have been meeting the needs of local car buyers for 114 years because of their service, financial expertise, and support after the sale. In addition to supporting car buyers, Covert's an important part of the soccer community and the official automotive partner of Austin FC. And they recently put Maxi in a Ford Bronco that I'm going to keep pretending that we personally sold him. I love it. Yes, we were there. Sign of the ink. We're like, we got to talk to the finance guy, but we'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> right now, if you're looking for a deal, Covert has one on a 2023 Ford F-150 XL Super Cruise, stock number 2230076. The MSRP is 53815, but with dealer discounts and package savings, it could be yours for only 45299 plus tax, title, and license. And with a Ford... Oh, Approved Ford credit, you can get it for 0% APR over 36 months or 3.9% APR over 60 months. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, be sure to check out covertford.com. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Realty. Thanks to Sage Wilson Realty, we'll be giving away two tickets to an upcoming match. So fill out the form and the show notes to enter for your chance to win. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Realty. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Realty. Be sure to check them out online at sagewilson.com. All right, we are happy to be joined today by Paul Dolan, who is a former Vancouver Whitecaps and Canadian national team goalkeeper uh, and a member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Also, the youngest goalkeeper to play in a World Cup game, which was Mexico 86. And I learned just before we started recording that during one of those games, you had a chicken thrown at you on the pitch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's call it technically a rooster because, you know, the <laughs> French uh, the French symbol on their jersey, right, uh, is a, a, a cock, right? It's a cockerel. So... Um, I guess one of the traditions I found out when I was a 20 year old playing in the World Cup against France in that game in Mexico, that uh, one of the traditions is to throw a rooster as I'm about to take a goal kick. <laughs> and the linesman had to come over and kind of cuff it and take it away. And who knows where that ended up that rooster. But yeah, you know what, I, I would fly around all over the world after that with the national team and whatever country I was in. I would always see that on the blooper reel. So <laughs> probably not anymore because it's so low def, but uh, it was quite quite, quite the event for us to have played in the World Cup against France, the reigning European champion at the time, and then to have that happen. So you were currently working for MLS Season Pass on Apple TV, but um, your job most recently before that was calling Vancouver Whitecaps game. And you're going to be on the call this Wednesday where Austin is playing in Vancouver. So we're going to go through that game. And then we asked you just before recording, but you all, you've also called some sporting Kansas city games uh, this season. So you're going to help us preview that one as well. Let's start off with the white caps though. That's going to be Wednesday, nine 30 local time here in Austin. Vancouver is currently ninth in the table, uh, but the Western conference is wild right now. So there's still only five points behind Austin and have played two fewer games. Is that right, Jeremiah? Yeah, that's right. They've got to get two games in hand over Austin. Yeah. So uh, they played to a nil nil draw in Austin back in April 15th, which is kind of an ugly game for Austin. 
Uh, last two matches were a three nil loss to Sporting Kansas City and then a three two loss uh, to Seattle. They've been much better at home than on the road, uh, and they're they're going to be missing a couple of players. Julian Gressel still out on Gold Cup duty. There's a few others. It looks like maybe coming back, maybe questionable. Paul, can you tell us what this Vancouver team might look like on Wednesday? Well, the biggest issue they have right now is fullbacks, defenders, because as you mentioned, Julian Gressel's away, although he's played more as an eight this year as an attacking midfielder, but he could play in a wingback spot or a defensive role if need be. And the fact is the Whitecaps need be right now because they're going to miss Matias Laborda. He was red carded against the Seattle Sounders. Uh, Ali Ahmed, who is just coming back from the Gold Cup with Canada, but was injured in that game, probably not able to go. So that's one area I think that you'll see a little bit of a, a possibility for Austin to attack is inexperienced fullbacks. They'll probably go with three in the back. Again, the Whitecaps, uh, they did that against the Sounders to some success. I guess if you can see three goals, it's not a great day defensively. But what they're going to try to do, I think, is harken back to, you mentioned some of the results there, Landon, where it was nil-nil against Austin, and then they lost three-nil in, in Kansas City, and then three-two just recently to the Sounders. But they're going to harken back to just a week and a half ago when they thumped LAFC, and the scoreline was only 3-2, but it was probably the best game that the Whitecaps have played all season long. And Ryan Gold in particular was phenomenal on the day. He's really come to life in the second part of the first half of the season. I know that uh, Andres Kubas was out during this last game as well. Are they expecting him to be back for this one? I think so. Yeah, it was a hamstring strain that they just didn't want to push against Seattle. But you talk about a defensive presence. I think he's one of the best number sixes uh, defensive midfielders in the league. I know you've got a good one too in Austin, Danny Pereira. But uh, Kubas for me is the most aggressive defensive defensive midfielder in the league. He blocks the lanes. He wins his challenges. And then when he gets on the ball, he sprays it around quite nicely too. But really, it's first and foremost defensive. So having him back in the lineup, I think, helps the Whitecaps in that area of the field for sure. But it'll still be a a bit of a tinkered with back three. Luis Martin's probably playing there again. He played against Seattle, normally a wider left wing back type player. But he's an experienced head back there. But uh, it's an area that the Whitecaps have been a little unstable in the last little while, as you said. Yeah, and the Whitecaps, they also looked a little uneasy on set pieces against Seattle and gave up some goals. Is, is that normal for, for them? I've not, I haven't watched them play much this year. No, uh, you're right. that the, the, the goals that they conceded were really poor, and that's something that, Jeremiah, they, they tried to address today in training. We spoke to Vanny Sartini, and we spoke to Josh Wolf both today uh, ahead of the game on Wednesday to get some insight into the things that they wanted to correct and what they saw in the other team that they looked to attack against. And obviously, Vanni Sartini was really disappointed to have conceded two set-piece goals, both of them where it was just a little flick, and then the man was wide open, a goal, uh, a yard from goal, which was uh, Leo Chu, a guy who's in really good form right now for Seattle. Certainly on the setup side, where he had eight assists coming into the game, and then he scored a pair against Vancouver. So you can't leave him wide open, and they did. The Whitecaps like to set up with zonal marking, and for the most part, it's worked this year. There have been times in the beginning of this year and throughout last year as well where that zonal marking cost them because all it takes sometimes is a flick, and then if you're not staying with your runner, you're just 
marking the space, that's when a chew can nick in there and, and score the goals as he did. So I think they're going to address that with one more man at the top of the box to prevent the runner from coming in in the first place. And that is that is a pattern that Austin FC will try to exploit pretty often as well, where they'll either put uh, big guys at the near post or at the far post and either go for that near post like flick on to try to catch someone crashing the back post or play it all the way across to Julio Cascante and have him head it back across the box there. So, uh, yeah, I think Austin will be looking to do the exact same that Seattle did against them the other day. Well, especially Cascante. Didn't he have six goal contributions in five games at one point? And he is a beast back there. Like, what a target to pick out. I know for Vancouver, like they like to pick out Javane Brown. And just going back to where Vancouver doesn't have that fullback strength, Javane Brown's still at the Gold Cup, right, with Jamaica. So he's yeah. in the semifinal now against Guatemala. So that that's one of the areas I think that uh, Austin can certainly look to take advantage of some white cap frailties, if you want to call it that, and then maybe don't need to be quite as concerned on the other end where big Javane Brown was off in a target at the back post. Although, Renko Veselinovic scored a beautiful goal against LAFC second minute of the game down in LA on a Ryan Gold corner kick, and then he also scored in the last game against Seattle from a Ryan Gold free kick. So that's one area they might want to be concerned with uh, to make sure that he doesn't get open and head those balls in again. Yeah, hey, you mentioned. His, I was gonna say you mentioned his name a couple times. I just feel like when Ryan Gold's around, Vancouver is never gonna be out of it. Like that guy, he's a nemesis. Yeah, and so many people around the league are starting to realize that too, because Fanny Sartini likes to call him the working man's DP because he does it on both sides of the ball, and he truly is an inspiration defensively. You know, oftentimes your DPs they're not gonna get their hands dirty or their feet dirty for that matter. You know, they're. They're, they're waiting around the edge of the box or they're they're waiting for their opportunity to shine when they get on the ball. But Ryan Gold will track down players. He'll back pressure. He'll win challenges. He'll intercept balls, uh, win his duels. And then when he's on the attack, and usually it's in a quick counter where he's so dangerous, he'll find teammates, look to get involved himself, make runs into the box. And he had a slow start to the year. No goal contributions until the Houston game just recently. But since then, he's got five goals in six games, uh, as well as a lot of helpers there as well. So uh, he's a player, I think, that is finally coming into really good form, as he did last year later in the, in the second half of the season, and as he did immediately when he joined the Whitecaps a couple of seasons, or two years ago, I guess it is exactly right at this point. That. There's a lot of speed and athleticism in the attacking half for the Whitecaps, which is a little concerning for me. Uh, considering that Austin is, is without they they have center backs but it's not their preferred uh starters at center back Alex Ring was out the other day so there's a good chance he's not going to be available on Wednesday uh the options are Julio Cascante's going to be the starter but then the other options are either Kip Keller who is a good athlete I think probably a good match athletically for a lot of these Vancouver players but is also really shaky sometimes and makes me very nervous when he's on the ball. The other option is 19-year-old Brandon Craig, a loanee from Philadelphia, who's very good on the ball, but not proven at the first team level. So um, I'm I'm a little bit nervous to see what Ryan Gold and company do against the, the center of our defense there. The other thing they'll do too 
uh, is that they'll, they'll, they'll pressure right from the front, especially at home at BC Place in Vancouver. You probably saw it a little less away from home, especially in warmer conditions where the Whitecaps will set up more in a, a mid-block, not to exert too much energy. But at home, they like to really pressure the opposition. So if it ended up being Craig in the back there at 19, you'd think they would kind of trap and wait for him to get on the ball and then go after him. But I think they would do the same with Cascanti or whoever's going to be playing in that position. So uh, it, it might be a situation where we see Austin look to relieve that pressure, maybe over the top or into the channels, or if they can connect through midfield where they have good players like Pereira who get, can get on the ball and relieve that pressure and then find the second man from there. But uh, it will be a big test, I think, because Brian White and Ryan Gold have hooked up really well in the last few games. That partnership has been outstanding. And of course they, they've got the second goal together against Seattle with a flick on header from Brian White and then Brian Gold in alone on the breakaway. So that'll be an interesting matchup. I think that part of the part to watch on uh, Wednesday night for sure. Yeah. So like we said before, that game is going to be Wednesday night, 930 central time here in Austin. Uh, Paul is going to be on the call with Blake Price. Uh, let's move on and talk a little bit about sporting Kansas City. So that one's Saturday, 730 here in Austin at Q2 Stadium. Kansas City is 10th in the table, but again, only five points behind Austin because the West is wild. Um, (laughs) They're playing RSL at home Wednesday, so they also have midweek. They started off really rough. Uh, They got some players back. Pulido's been back and is scoring like crazy. Um, They have, again, have a few players missing. Melia is out. A couple of others might be out, but they should be expecting to have like their attacking half is is pretty much what exactly what they would want with Shallowy, Pulido, Russell, Gadikinda, Eric Tommy, all available for this game. And great players. All five of those that you just listed there. And the chemistry that they're starting to build within each other. Because as you know, I think that uh, you know, for six hundred days they were that they never had the three DPs playing together, Russell, Pulido. And uh, Gaddy Kinda. And by the way, Gaddy Kinda for me, maybe the most underrated player in the league, out for virtually all of last season with that injury. So he's come back. He's come back slowly, though, not as quickly as Polito's come back. Polito's come back and uh, gotten himself up to speed right away. But Gaddy Kinda had uh, a little bit longer recovery time than his wife had a baby as well, which meant that he wasn't training as much. They had a bunch of games. They weren't able to get him up to full speed in terms of 90-minute matches. But I think he's there now. And a terrific creator, whenever he gets on the ball, he causes all sorts of havoc. And Eric Tommy's been excellent, too. He tried to do a little bit too much at the beginning of the season. I think you mentioned there, Landon, they went 10 without a win to start the year. And then they just went on fire. They were the best team in June, starting with a game away at Seattle and then they were rolling. But they, they hit a bit of a roadblock again uh, recently at home where they lost back-to-back matches, including one to Chicago that we, we called on that game. Uh, but now having beaten the Whitecaps uh, and with an opportunity now to, to come back home again against Austin, I think it is a dangerous team, particularly in that front five, if you want to call it that. So, I like, Landon will remember this. Like, Austin's worst game of the year was playing in Kansas City, Kansas. Well, that was a, I think it was a low point right on June 10th. Um, it was a 4 1 defeat. Uh, like, I don't know. Like, how, how does Austin recover from that? Like, what, what can Austin take advantage of? Is it the missing pieces of the back or is it something else? 
it was funny to watch the game that Austin played against Minnesota, where let's be honest, up until the 35 minute mark, they were, they were kind of getting better. You know, oh, the, the, that the felt chances. like a robbery to us. We, <laughs> we felt like we made out like bandits in that one. Yeah. Minnesota. I think the, the shots at one point were six to one, the post that was hit and it was one way traffic, but once that goal went in, so I, I think it's, a lot of Austin, I think, this year uh, and their success is going to come down to momentum and building on the success. So you win 4-1 away from home in a, a pretty tough place to play in Minnesota. Uh, you know, you, you just, regardless of the fact that they lost 4-1 earlier in the year, I don't necessarily think that that will phase them at this point because it's a completely different mindset now as things are starting to tick in the right di- direction. You know, the two wins against the... Texas rivals uh, most recently as well, convincing 3-0 wins in those games. Things are starting to go, I think, in in the right direction. So just like Sporting Kansas City at the beginning of the year, going winless in 10 and turning things around, they've forgotten about that slow start. I think that could be the case for Austin as well. But yeah, the, the, the opportunity certainly comes on the defensive side of things. The stand-in goalkeeper in Kendall McIntosh, I think he's been okay um, to replace Tim Melia. Um, their back line has been relatively solid, but not overly consistent. Castellanos has had to come in a couple of times for Rosero. Their right back position has not been overly solidified with Zussi also injured. And even at left back uh, with Ndembe out, um, you know, they've, they've gone with Leibold, who I like getting forward, but maybe not as strong defensively. So I think if anything, that's the area that Austin might be able to look after and, and get after them. All right. Well, uh, any other thoughts on either of these matchups or just Austin in general? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the season that Austin had last year and the slower start that they've had this year, it's obviously a disappointment not to be able to replicate that. But so many of those same pieces still here. And as I say, I think starting to turn a corner means that uh, I think we'll see a different game than the nil-nil game down in Austin earlier in the season. I think we'll see a wide open game up in Vancouver because the Whitecaps like to attack. Uh, they like to pressure high. They have a high tempo. And uh, I think Austin will try to match them for that too. They're not afraid. They won't just sit back. I think they'll try to get after the Whitecaps as well, especially with those defensive frailties with some of their players missing. I'm hoping we'll see a lot more action than we saw in that previous game earlier in the year. Yeah, I, we're hoping for for success. But if if nothing else, maybe we can hope for entertainment. That's it. Yeah, that's all you can ask for. And I know the Whitecaps are desperate for points. You know, they lost to Seattle. They've got two more home games here. And then when they come back from League's Cup, they have a seven-game road trip. So if they don't get the points at home, that is going to be a big ask on the back end. Wow. All right. Well, Paul, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And good luck on uh, your upcoming games. Appreciate it. Good to speak with you guys. Take care. We want to thank Paul Dolan one more time for joining us for those previews. Uh, listeners, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Go open up your phone right now. At least give us a rating. If not, write out write out a review. This really does help people find us, helps us be a, little, a bit more visible for folks who are looking for, for new content. Uh, and then come find us online at Twitter. I'm Elviahero87. Jeremiah is jbentley underscore ATX. And then we're Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and threads. 
Uh, yes, well, once we figure out how to make threads work, or once I do, I think you've you posted a couple times on threads from the Mutar Soccer a- account. Account sharing is a little more difficult than it is with Twitter, so Jeremiah can't get into it right now. And we're not we're not throwing all our eggs in that basket yet. I more or less wanted to save the name <laughs> in case I love someone it. could steal it from us somehow. But um, I yeah, as broken as Twitter is, it is still far from dead. I think so. We're gonna. St- Stay there for now, but we we've got our bases covered in case the we, worst we happens. Gotta, yeah, somebody was, I was asking about what I should do for the press conference. Somebody's like, "Well, you should tweet and thread and like shoot some video for you." It's like, how many hands do you think I have? Like, I can only <laughs> do one of these things at a time. So I tweeted from that press conference, but yeah, maybe we'll be doing threads in the future. All right, and uh, we'd also encourage you to visit the Striker website where you can get a thirty percent discount with the code Moon Tower Twenty Three with a capital M. Jeremiah, what should folks know about the Striker? So there are two articles that I would advise people to check out this week. Uh, one, so Phil West article that we talked about, the three questions we still have after Austin sees outstanding Robin against Minnesota, which sort of has his analysis into the Roddy Reddit's question. Um, he also wrote a good piece on the Meet the New Boss. So if you want to read some analysis of the uh, Burrell Prefs conference today, there is some there. So that's a good piece to read too. And then... We should maybe mention a little bit about the kind of like leadership change at the striker. Oh, that's as well. right. That is right. So yes, our um, friend of the show, Andrew Urban, is now the what is he the president of the striker? I think or something like that. Anyhow, there's a change. People we know have known for a long time now have a lot to do with it. Phil is still super involved um, in the striker, and I'm sort of excited to see about what the the future holds for the the site and the coverage it provides. And, and as far as what it means for our show, um, our relationship has always been friendly but loose with the striker. And so any changes happening there won't won't affect anything happening on our end. We're going to continue to support each other in ways that we can, which we're very much looking forward to because, again, we we know the people who are taking over and believe in, in what they're trying to do with it. In short, it just means that the striker continues to exist, uh, which is good news. So yeah, so if you don't subscribe to the Striker for some reason, Moon Tower 23 will get you a 30% discount to the Striker. You should go over there, you should check it out. Support independent media. There's not enough of it around. Like we just mentioned on these two articles, like Phil's everywhere that Austin FC is and provides coverage that that nobody else does. So give them um, give them a little support too. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next week to review the Minnesota... Oh no, sorry. To review the Vancouver and Sporting Kansas City matches and then preview what what's happening after that <laughs> yeah after that there's a little bit of a break we don't know how long the break will be there's all-star games the following week and then on july 21st and 29th austin fc will have leagues cup matches and then maybe we'll continue beyond that so i think we'll talk a little leagues cup um be maybe a good time to get some guests on and we've got a little bit less of a demand in terms of of game loads so maybe we can have some deeper conversation with some folks about just soccer in general all right well we'll be back then to talk about all that until then i'm landon cottom I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God.